The following is a conversation between Dr. Eduardo Sanchez, Chief Medical Officer for Prevention at the American Heart Association, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. As miserable and distressed as we all are, cooped up in our homes, we should take a moment to be thankful that we have homes to be cooped up in. Perspective is an important thing to have at times like this. And here to provide us some is Jonathan Reckford, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity International. Welcome back to the Business of Giving, Jonathan. Thank you, Denver. Great to be with you again. Shelter in place is the ubiquitous phrase that we hear day after day after day. But for someone such as yourself, who does the kind of work that you do and your team do, it can take on a wholly different connotation. Speak to that, if you would, Jonathan. Thank you. You know, as we're sheltering in our own homes, it's so important that we think about those who don't have a decent place to live in which to shelter. And when any natural disaster hits, a a storm, a disease, a financial crisis, it's always those who struggle most who suddenly find themselves struggling even more. There are neighbors, families already living in conditions that aren't conducive to good health, those whose finances have long been taxed beyond measure because housing needs too much of their income, mm-hmm. those newly vulnerable because the economic shockwaves that something like this so often sets off. So we fully support sheltering in place. It's the right thing to do to combat the spread of the coronavirus. And we know at the same time that far too many families don't have that option. And the longer this goes on, the more risk that people who depend on hourly pay or gig work will fall behind on their rent or mortgage as well. Yeah. You know, despite this pandemic and social distancing, Habitat, you guys are continuing to pursue your vision of a world where everyone has that decent place to live. In what ways are you able to do that now? You know, like so many, we have been badly impacted by this. And we have parts of work that we're able to keep going, but a lot had to stop. The first thing we stopped was our international volunteer program. And then we stopped all of our traveling volunteer programs because we didn't want to take any chance that someone would inadvertently bring the virus to a vulnerable community. And of course, since then, like so many other organizations, we are following public health guidance in local communities and suspending operations. The great majority of all our Habitat for Humanity restores have been closed temporarily, impacting both the the jobs but revenue for our are almost 1,200 local affiliates in the United States. And we have essentially stopped all volunteer build activity, which means some of our affiliates are still able to do their professional staff out doing construction or their contractors, but the, but a huge amount of the work has stopped. So uh, that does put on, you know, we are all about bringing people together to go out and build and uh, both homes, communities, and hope. And all of a sudden the the bringing people together, we've got to find ways to do that virtually because we can't do it physically right now. Yeah, and you know, I just sometimes wonder how you even start again. I just saw an article from a researcher at MIT who said that actually safe social distancing needs to be 27 feet. So you stop and say to yourself, how do we get people together again when this thing is sort of over to begin to build those houses? You know, I saw that you and others were recently on a call with President Trump and Vice President Pence, and I know you're up on Capitol Hill and you're working and you're advocating. What is the pitch you're making and how well did this cause do in the uh, stimulus bill, which was just uh, passed? 
So I would say it's mixed, but we certainly view the stimulus bill as helpful. And in addition to Habitat's work, I chair a group called Leadership 18 of the largest U.S. nonprofits, and we in the the broad sector. The biggest message we've been putting out is don't leave out the nonprofit sector when we think about keeping small businesses and organizations moving, because a huge number of people work in the nonprofit sector, but also as funding goes down, the need for our services actually go up. So it's, a, it's, it's an ironic pain. And we are currently evaluating the most recent bill. We certainly think that the Paycheck Protection piece in the Small Business Act will be extremely helpful for small nonprofits. And we're trying to help our affiliates take advantage of that, though HFHI itself may not qualify. There's also some other elements around increases in CDBG that could potentially be helpful and some flexibility around mortgage payments. Now, the good news for our families is if there's broad protection for families who can't afford to pay their mortgage. But of course, that as a large lender, that will in fact hurt us from a revenue perspective. We've always been the, the friendliest lender out there. So we're very quick to restructure mortgages to work with our families if they have lost jobs or lost income. But we're very concerned about the capacity of the nonprofit sector shrinking at a time where there'll be uh, so much need. So our hope is to the extent there is another round that there would be a prioritization of supporting the capacity of the nonprofit community to be able to continue to serve. Yeah, I think this is going to be at least a two to five year impact on so many social organizations and nonprofit organizations. And somehow bridge financing is going to have to be created in order for them to stay in business and to serve the people they want. As we look around the corner to the next disaster, if you want to call it that, once the the uh, disease is, is in check, it really could be housing and homelessness, a crisis much larger than it is even now. I saw that Goldman Sachs is um, projecting a 34, 34% decrease in GDP, and people anticipate about one-third of Americans will be unemployed. How do you think about that in trying to get ready for what's going to happen after the, the, the disease part of this, this catastrophe ends? Well, it's, it's why the analogy I've used is like other disasters, there's the relief phase and the recovery phase. And typically when we have a, a tsunami or a hurricane or a major tornado, about 80% of all the charitable resources go to the relief phase and there's not much money left for that long recovery and rebuilding. And I think that's a helpful analogy here as well. We absolutely need the relief. We've got a health emergency right now, and people should be generous and support all of our health organizations and related ones, but also keep an eye to the recovery and that we're going to need to build back. Before, just as you said, Denver, we already had a housing crisis. This was rated in the U.S. the number one problem by our American cities by the U.S. Council of Mayors this year. And and we already had 38 million families who were cost-burdened spending too much of their income on housing. This is going to be hugely exacerbated as incomes go down and housing costs will not go down in any way, in any proportional way. So our hope is to keep a focus on housing and to the extent possible, make sure that there are funds both to, as you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and others are looking at relaxing or waiving up to 60 days of payments, which is fantastic. But then what happens uh, to the lenders? And, and, and we're, of course, a small lender in the scheme of things. But the the lending, you know, our model counts on those families paying back their mortgages so we can reinvest those mortgage payments back into the communities. So for us, this is a a huge issue. And the third piece is we typically see, as you know so well, that in a downturn, charitable giving drops as well. 
So if you put it together, it becomes kind of a triple hit. And that's where we really think there's going to have to be some government support. We already believe the government needed to do more in terms of creating a larger supply of affordable housing. And now, unfortunately, my fear would be that, that for Habitat and other providers of affordable housing, their financial capability to do that will be hit just when we need to increase supply. Exactly right. Jonathan, what's the impact of all this been on your fundraising now? You know, it is too early to tell. We're really grateful. Many faithful donors have been holding in. I think the harder part that's just we're just starting to see is whether corporate donors pull back because they're running into challenges and whether individual givers will continue to be generous, you know, as things get tougher. So the good news for us is we were having a great first year, both financially and operationally, through the first half of the year. And then none of us predicted this showing up. So we're very concerned about the second half of the year and what that means uh, going forward. But we are, of course, trying to stay in touch with, with our donors, reach out to them, and and just try to stay visible, recognizing that, that everything is up in the air a little bit right now. Yeah. What aspects of your workplace culture, your organizational culture, has put you in good stead so then, so when a disaster like this, a disruption like this comes about, you can still operate in an effective and productive way. And what things might you institute when we get some kind of semblance of normal back to make Habitat an even more resilient and nimble organization? Well, you know, I think the, the first thing I would say is, is in a crisis, it's more important than ever that you live up to your core values. And, and for Habitat, our those core values are humility, courage, and accountability. And we actually need to emphasize all of them right now. We recognize that, that we certainly don't have all the answers and that we are going to be dependent on partners and, and other stakeholders to get through this. But it's also recognition that, that we have to take bold action and be accountable for being great stewards of the resources we do have. I think the, you know, sadly, we have lived through multiple crises over the years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we have learned from them. And, and if you can bring good out of bad, we're always looking for ways we can actually accelerate our strategy. Uh, a slight good news for us is we had already rolled out alternative work opportunities for many of our staff, and we had rolled out the Office 365 so that it was relatively seamless for the people who could do work remotely to be able to work remotely. That's been encouraging. If I look back to when I started at Habitat, I started right as Hurricane Katrina hit, and we'd already had the Indian Indian Ocean Tsunami. And in that case, we were able to learn about scaling, and it actually had a dramatic impact in terms of new ways to do our work that allowed us to build much at a much faster pace in concentrated areas. And so if you could bring good, that actually started some of the scaling work that continued. In a similar way, I would never want to live through it again, but the, the housing crisis of 08-09 um, accelerated our work into holistic community development in the United States and neighborhood revitalization. So, you know, if we're looking for the ways that if we can bring any good out of this, that we become a more nimble or agile organization on the other side, we'll certainly be a more virtual organization globally on the other side. And seeing if there are ways at least we can keep our strategic intent and use some of the opportunity to change maybe faster than we could have if we didn't have a crisis. But believe me, I'd rather not have a crisis. Yeah, but but again, you're looking for those silver linings if there is going to be one, and that is so smart. How's the relationship between a CEO and a board, and particularly a board chair, at a moment like this? If you could just share what your relationship has been like and what is so important in that connection 
to to, to really help us get through uh, a situation like this? You know, it is critically important that the staff and board stay aligned. And we're blessed with an incredibly supportive board. Actually, it's great timing. We just had our first ever fully virtual global board meeting. <laughs> and maybe not your last. And I hope I hope we won't have to more, but we've learned we can have very effective yeah. virtual meetings. So that's good. And, you know, we had people getting up early and late in Asia to make the, the time zones work. And that was that was hard, but it was it really went well. And. You know, my encouragement to others is stay very closely connected to your board chair and your board leadership. Make sure you're aligned. The great news is they are a great source of wisdom because they are in leadership roles in all kinds of different organizations around the world. So it's a great source of information, best practices, and advice for us, which which we really value. And then I, I think, as always, you never want to surprise the board. So as we're making important strategic or tactical decisions, that we are keeping the board well-informed. So I have regular updates with our board chair. How do you think about leadership in a crisis? What gifts and talents have you been trying to bring to the surface at a moment like this? And what behaviors have you been modeling for your extended team? You know, uh, I think the first is resilience. And I've been so kind of impressed by the, the resilience of my colleagues. But I think it's so critical that leaders not show panic, you know, that we we acknowledge and are honest about the challenges but also continuously optimistic about our ability to get through this. And, and we will get through this. We've been through other challenges. This one is unique, but, but I, I have great faith in that. I think second is, as I talked before, about reinforcing those core values so that those are embedded in the way that we go about the response and that we can uh, point to how we're being consistent with our values, even as we have to make hard decisions. I think the third is, is communicating even more that, that you always want to be communicating actively. But in this case, we want to in- increasing the amount of communication and just staying available. In our case, we've added some additional virtual meetings and ways for people just to stay connected to one another as they are physically apart and then staying close to the team. And so our, our senior leadership team has actually increased the, the rhythm of our meetings. We have more short meetings just to make sure as things unfold and decisions are being made that we're staying tightly connected and cascading information out to the organization. Yeah, you're really uh, mindful of their well-being, aren't you? Absolutely. So we want to we want to care for our people as best we can uh, and find ways to do that when we can't do it the way we usually do. And of course, when I say our people, that extends, in our case, we're a federated organization to all of our country programs and to our affiliates in the United States and making sure in the same way that we are are communicating uh, regularly to them and doing all we can to make sure we are being able to be helpful to them in terms of resources. We have tried to increase the amount of support just if people need emotional support, if people are impacted. Thankfully, it's been very rare, but we do have a couple of staff members who have been have been infected by the virus mm-hmm. and caring, making sure they are they are cared for. But I think the bigger concern is is making sure that the, the leadership all across the world, you know, are able to keep functioning, able to care for their teams, supporting them so that, that they can be effective. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, what can listeners do to help continue to support this work at this crucial time? Well, thank you for that. You know, we, like so many others, really need the support and we need it now. So as I talk about the recovery, you know, my greatest anxiety is that we and other critical nonprofits will get stretched so thin, we'll have to lose critical capacity so that when we get to the recovery phase, we aren't able to respond at the scale that we want to. So certainly we would uh, welcome and encourage people to donate either to Habitat for Humanity International or to their local Habitat organization. 
And it is, you know, we have now for more than 40 years partnered with families and communities all across the world. And, and that's only been possible because of the help of all of our different partners and donors. Yeah, well, Habitat has always been a vital organization, but it probably will never be more important when people get back and don't have homes and really look to you to support to pl- supply that support. So I want to thank you so much for, for being here. I know how much you have on your plate and for taking a few precious moments to be with us and share this great information. Uh, my gratitude and be well. And you as well, Denver. Thanks so much. Thank you, Take Jonathan. Care.